Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. The problem when government tries to impose, say, health restrictions, is it's tough to take government's rules seriously, even when they come out with valid ones, when they do stuff which is just incredibly dumb. Because you look and you say, okay, if, if they're doing something that's this dumb, how can we trust them to do other stuff, even though that other stuff might make sense? Example in point. All right, the, the brewers got permission from the City of Milwaukee Health Department, and this is Tom Barrett's Health Department. And by the way, these comments I'm about to make have nothing to do with the brewers. The brewers wanted to bring fans back to American Family Field. They had asked to um, start at 35% capacity, had to submit a plan for that. City of Milwaukee Health Department said, well, we're not going to let you start at 35% capacity. We're going to let you begin the season at 25% capacity. So it, at least you get some people in. And, and that's that's all well and good. What the brewers are going to end up doing is they will limit the number of people and they'll spread them out. And if you're a season ticket holder, you've already got this notice saying, hey, we, we think we're going to be able to accommodate you for your games, but you're not necessarily going to be in the seats that you typically have because we have to spread you out. All that's well and good. All right. No problem with that at all. Don't want to argue about whether 35% or 25% makes more sense. But here is part of the decision by the City of Milwaukee Health Department that I think is just nothing but capital D, capital U, capital M, capital B. That is dumb. The City of Milwaukee has said to the brewers, we are not going to allow you to have tailgating at American Family Field. No tailgating. All right, now let let us think this through. All right, first of all, you're going to allow 25% of people to come to the stadium. How are the majority of those people going to get to the stadium? They're going to drive in their cars. And how are the majority of those people probably going to drive in their cars? They're going to drive together. Now, many of the people that are going to be coming to the games are family members, right? So it's your hu- the husband, the wife, maybe a couple kids. They're all in the same car. They're not going to be wearing masks in the car. They're coming from the same household as a general rule, and they're going to come to the game. So let's get this straight. You can drive in your car to the game. You can get to the parking lot. You can park your car, but you can't stand outside and grill out some hot dogs. You can't throw a baseball around. I mean, seriously, what is the purpose of this? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It makes absolutely no sense at all to ban tailgating. Now, what you could do is you could say, okay, we're going to limit the capacity in the parking lot and we're going to prevent gatherings larger than than 10 people or, or whatever you could get, or you can space them out, but it's outside. It is people, this, this is as dumb as when Tony Evers back last year, when he started saying to people, all right, you, you can't ride in golf carts. Remember that was at the beginning of the pandemic. You can't ride in golf carts together. You can. So four guys can get together, they can drive in the SUV to the golf course, sitting in that SUV together, not required to wear masks. They can get out, now they're outside, and they're not going to be allowed to be in the car, in a golf cart together. This is the same situation. And by the way, again, this is not the Brewers. The Brewers wanted to open up tailgating. There is so There are so many ways that you could allow tailgating to occur. Again, you know, you, you want to spread it out. You want to say, okay, we're not, we're going to limit tailgating. You, you can't have more than eight people or 10 people or, or, or whatever that might be. You could put restrictions on it, but people are coming to the games together. They are going to be outside and the city of Milwaukee health department says, nope, can't do it. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line we discuss in just a moment. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I, 
I think if you were to give me two words to describe this policy that the city of Milwaukee has implemented, their health department, those two words would be staggeringly stupid. You're going to allow fans back into American Family Field, limited capacity, 25%, that's fine, but you're going to ban tailgating so those people that come to the stadium can drive together in the same car (laughs) um, not wearing masks but they can't stand outside that car and grill out or throw a baseball back and forth and then they're they're going to go into the stadium and they're going to be sitting next to each other anyways i mean really 855-616-1620 let's start with paul in the north shore hi paul hey jeff thanks for taking the call Yes, sir. You know, 25% capacity in the stadium, right? right? So that would stand to reason that's probably 25% capacity in the parking lot. Right. Granted, people drive together, and there's not as many parking spots as seats. But if we do the math, that means that there should be probably three parking spots between your car and the next. Right. Which I think is more than six feet, and it's outdoors. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm lost for a reason as to why. Well, right now... Now, I could understand that I'm not aware of. Well, right. Now, see, Paul, I could understand if they want to prevent like a gathering of 100 people. You don't want to have a huge tailgate party. But but you you, it's really easy to do that. You say, okay, we're going to allow tailgating, but it can't be in groups larger than whatever that number is, six, eight, ten or whatever. And, And then you put that limit on it. And then it's it's fine. I mean. It just it this makes absolutely no sense to me at all. There's ways you could allow tailgating and still make sure you're not going to have like 400 people gathered together. But 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 they don't think that way. That's not the way bureaucrats approach this. So thanks for the call. I mean, all right. Uh, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, describing this as staggeringly stupid is being too nice. Total incompetence is a better phrase for this. Jeff, a parking lot that can handle 43,000 people can't handle 11,000. Sounds about right as far as the city of Milwaukee goes. These are the same people that supported the trolley. Ouch. Jeff, it's dumb rules like this that cause people to tune out everything else from the health department. Yes. See, that's the way I started this conversation. There are all sorts of, of reasonable restrictions and rules in a pandemic that the health department can come up with. But the problem is when you do things like this that really make no objective sense at all, it causes people to look at this and say, well, OK, they, they, if they don't know what they're doing with this, why should we trust them with other things. Jeff, I think their line of thinking is that too many tailgaters intermingle with each other proportionate to the amount of alcohol consumed, creating a potentially dangerous situation that's more likely to spread COVID. Give me a maybe that's the thinking, but but give me a break. You can put limits. Again, we're going to allow tailgating, but the, the groups can't exceed Five or, or 10 or, or whatever. You can put capacity limits on this to stop the, the mingling on this, and you can spread people out enough to not have the problem. Um, Jeff, couldn't they just require a ticket to the game to get into the parking lot to keep others from adding to the people? Um, this part's not making sense. Yes, it, right, right, exactly. If your concern is that we don't want lots of people just coming to the parking lot that don't have tickets to the game to hang out, again, it's real easy to deal with that. Everybody that comes to the parking lot, you know, you have to have a ticket. All right, that that's that's the rule. So, now, I don't know that quite candidly. I mean, I don't know if you've limited it to 25 percent capacity, that that suddenly means that there's five or ten thousand other people. They're going to try to stream into the parking lot to participate in the tailgate stuff. But that's something that's easy to deal with. And again, this is not a criticism of the brewers. The brewers are committed to trying to open up tailgating. This is, again, it's the Milwaukee Health Department coming up with a ridiculous an absolutely ridiculous rule, at least in my opinion. Jeff, well, opening day tends to draw thousands of drunks that just show up to drink for hours in the parking lot. Do you think a crowded bathroom of drunks is safe? Well, okay, you, you can, again, you, you limit that. You say, okay, in order to get into the parking lot, you have to have a ticket. Boom. No problem at all. 
Um, Jeff, I think they just want to increase their food and beverage sales inside. No, no, no. This is not the brewers. The brewers want to open this up for tailgating. This is the control freaks at the city of Milwaukee. Jeff, so let me get this straight. You can drive there together. You can sit in the car together, wait for the gates to open together, sit together in the stands, go to the public restaurants, but you cannot eat a Wisconsin brat and drink a beer by your bumper. Unbelievable. Yeah, that wouldn't be the only word I choose, but yeah, I think that's there. Jeff, I agree with you. If attendance is limited to 25% or even 35%, then the logic is that there will only be 25% cars. You spread it out, and it should be no problem at all. Um, yes, Jeff, how did it ever come about that so many officials have no common sense anymore? Well, that's a bigger question. Jeff, this is nothing more than Big Brother, the city of Milwaukee, telling Little Brother, the brewers, They don't get to tell Big Brother what they want to do. Big Brother takes Little Brother and tells them what to do. Um, Yeah, Jeff, I don't get this decision. Um, Could it possibly be because of the Portageons? Well, again, no, because you, you, you can... You're, you're going to automatically limit the size of the crowd that is out there. Okay, let's talk to Bill in Oconomowoc. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Great topic, Jeff, but I think you're missing the point. It's not about rights. It's about responsibility. We have a responsibility to uh, end COVID, and uh, there's been this fight in our state, uh, lack of uh, listening to leaders, about wearing masks. If we had, we wouldn't even have this discussion. It would have been over. Proven fact. Many countries have passed us up standing still. But we drive but, Wait a second, Bill. Let me stop you there. Right. Bill, Bill, let me stop you. Are, sure. are you. Have you been watching what's sure. going on in Europe nowadays? Europe was the model. We should be doing what Europe... Europe is an absolute mess. Um, we have not... Countries have not eliminated COVID. I mean, I guess I just... I, I don't know what you, where this is coming from. G- give me the countries that have it under control, besides maybe Australia. Oh, uh, okay. You can start with Australia, I believe India, I heard, has a lot left. Do they have a half a million dead? Uh, what country has a half uh, a million okay, dead? Okay, but, but again, I, I, just, I just stop you with this this idea that, okay, well, you know, all these other countries are doing a better job. No, but okay, but, but explain to me how allowing, if I can go to the, if I can go to the baseball game, I can get my three buddies, we can drive together in my car, not wearing masks, we get there, we park, how are we making it any more dangerous for anybody else if we stand behind the tailgate and grill out some brats? How does that make the world more dangerous? I'll explain it to you right now. People left, left to their own controls and their own idea and their own self-judgment doesn't work. That's why we have a government. That's why we have laws. But 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 Bill, but Bill, but Bill, I'm driving to the car. They're letting me go to the game. They're let. They're they're not saying that I can't pick up my three friends. I'm picking up my three friends. We are in the car together. We are driving to the game together. We can sit in the car together. Why is it more dangerous if we get out of the car and stand behind the car and grill some hot dogs? Because the guys next to you who happen to be carrying COVID come over and say hello, and you're not no. going to stop them. You're not going to say, stand back, uh, you might have COVID. No, you're going to, like anybody would, oh, like oh, I would, Okay. Say, how are you doing? Nice okay, to okay, you. so, all right, let's take your example, okay? Let's take okay. your example. Okay. So then, all right, we, we, we get there, the four of us get there, we go into the, the game, we're sitting inside the game, and those same four people that you're talking about, the guys that would park next to us, come on over and say, hi, Jeff, how are you doing? All right, th- isn't there just as much of a likelihood that they're going to spread this? Well, that's a good question. I think I got the right answer. If you didn't talk to them in the parking lot and you talked to them in the game, Jeff, let's run the numbers. A little less exposure. Wouldn't you agree? No. <laughs> I mean, no. no. Oh. I, I mean, so if somebody comes, that's just dumb, Bill. If, so somebody, if you're going to say, if, if, if you, we're not going to let you interact with people in the parking lot, but we're going to let you interact with them inside, and the risk of interacting them inside is less than outside? No, that doesn't make any sense to me either. You're still interacting. Bill, thanks. Look, I, look, Bill, I understand there is this, this paranoia that, that is out there. 
And but but this idea that, oh, my gosh, you know, we we can't allow people to interact. Okay, so instead of going to the parking lot and and grilling out, what what can you do? You you go up to one of the numerous bars that are on Blue Mound there and and you sit and you order beers and you're still interacting with people. I I mean, this is this is just the, the reality that's out there. Now, that's why I appreciate that health departments have interests in. Again, trying to do what we can to flatten the curve. Not, and this is interesting. I talk about this all the time. It's how stuff has changed over the course of the last nine months. We've gone from flattening the curve, that is making sure the spread of COVID doesn't overwhelm the health system, to now, well, we can't do anything because, you know, somebody might get COVID. Well, the problem with that is COVID is going to be with us for, for a long time because even once vaccines are available, my guess is you'll be lucky if 60% of the people decide to get vaccines. So you're going to reach a certain point where, yes, it is possible that you can interact with people that, you know, have COVID. And if you've chosen not to get vaccinated, well, all right, that's going to be the risk that, that you run. But this idea that we need Big Brother and government to, you know, tell this. Um, Jeff, um, has the caller ever went to a Brewers game at any game or tailgated? Um, I have a lot of times people just don't start walking up to other people. You've got your own group you're with and you do your own thing. Um, yes, I, I think, you know, that's, that's it. Jeff, I think the risk of interaction inside the game is actually higher because people have to pass each other to get there to the seats. That doesn't happen outside in the parking lot. Um, yes, I, I don't think that that's the, you know, situation there. Look, bottom line of all this is, this to me is, is the city of Milwaukee Health Department trying to once again assert its control in a situation that makes absolutely no sense. And again, I understand there's people out there that just got me on this. Well, if the city of Milwaukee, if the health department says that we need to do this, well, we can't critically analyze this. We shouldn't think about this. We should just like follow this blindly. No, I mean, explain to me again, and this is the underlying thing. You drive in the car with your buddies to the game or with your family to the game. You're in that car. You're sitting in traffic in the car. You're in the parking lot in the car waiting for the gates to open, but you can't get outside the car, go behind the car, and then, you know, have a beer or or grill out a hot dog or throw a baseball back or forth. There's all sorts of things that the city could have done to allow tailgating in a safe fashion. Like I say, require people that come in to have tickets. So that stops mobs of people from outside coming in. Limit the size of the groups so you you can't have a tailgate party of beyond like 10 people or or whatever, whatever that number might be. But just to flat out say no tailgating, sorry, bad decision by the city of Milwaukee Health Department. They need to rethink it, and the sooner the better. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One final thought. You know who the real beneficiary of this dumb decision by the city of Milwaukee Health Department is? it's, It's all the bars in the vicinity of um, American Family Field, formerly Miller Park, because yet now you're saying, okay, you can't go in there and tailgate. So for the people that want to party or whatever before the game, what are they going to do? They're going to go to the different bars that are around the area. And by the way, yes, they're going to interact with strangers, quite candidly, probably in much closer confines than they would be if you let them grill out behind their own vehicle. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You've heard the incredibly compelling stories. Now you'll have a chance to make a real difference in the fight against congenital heart defects. Be here Friday afternoon. That would be tomorrow from 4 to 5 during Wisconsin's Afternoon News for a special radiothon where we'll be raising funds for the Children's Heart Foundation. We need each and every one of you to help, so please text the word CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620 and be here tomorrow, that's Friday, for the culminating WTMJ CARES Radiothon powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum and sponsored by Professional Construction, Inc. Yeah, during the 2 o'clock hour tomorrow, we'll be joined by Greg Matzik, who's been spearheading this to kind of set the stage for the Radiothon. Also, we are scheduled tentatively during the one o'clock hour to have Senator Ron Johnson on. Now, I say tentatively because Ron Johnson is is involved in in trying to prolong 
the Senate vote on the, the big stimulus package that's going through. His plan, and if he can enlist some of Repu- enough Republicans to do this, is to require the, the Senate clerk to read the entire bill, which will probably take over 70 hours. Now, whether that's going to come to fruition or not, and, and whether or not that's sort of a pointless exercise in protest or different stories, and we'll, we'll ask the Senator about that as well as some of the other issues that he has been involved with. Again, it's tentatively scheduled for 108 tomorrow. All right. Yesterday, maybe two days ago, there were 218 Democrats in the House of Representatives who voted on an amendment. Right now, there's an amendment. There's there's what they call the Voting Rights Act that is moving through the the House of Representatives. It's called H.R. 1. It's a voting rights package. It's ultimately not going anywhere because if you look at, while there might be some individual provisions in there that make sense, if you look at the overall package, essentially it's an effort to completely and totally change the way voting occurs in this country in an effort to try to, to benefit Democrats. It's not going anywhere in the Senate. That, that's the bottom line. But there was a provision yesterday or two days ago when this amendment came up that it was interesting. 218 Democrats voted on the amendment. 125 voted in favor of it. 93 voted against it. And almost all the, I think all the Republicans voted against it. So the amendment didn't go anywhere. But still, it got a majority of votes from House Democrats. What was the amendment? The amendment would allow 16-year-olds to vote. Yes, you, you heard me correct. Right now, the, the voting age, of course, in this country is 18. That's lowered. It was lowered from 21 during the Vietnam War. Um, now this bill would lower it to 16. Let me just read you some of the descriptions here. Uh, this is from one of the, the sponsors, a representative named Ayana Presley. She's from Hawaii, I believe. A 16-year-old in 2021 possesses a wisdom and a maturity that comes from 2021 challenges, 2021 hardships, and 2021 threats. Now is the time for us to demonstrate the courage that matches the challenges of the modern-day 16- and 17-year-old. She said that she is shocked that lowering the legal voting age to 16 would be a polarizing subject of debate. She is shocked at that. And the argument that gets made is essentially, um, this is what the, the representative says, and keep in mind, 125 people got on board with this. Beginning at the age of 16, young people are contributing to both the labor force and their local economies by paying income taxes, and yet they are deprived of the opportunity to exercise their right to vote. In this country, we affirm that when a person walks into the voting booth and pulls that lever, there is no meritocracy or hierarchy. The booth is the equalizer. All right, let's tee this up. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time to say if you're 16 years old, you should be able to vote? My answer would be... The same people who think it's a good idea to limit tailgating at American Family Field must be the same people that think it's a good idea to lower the voting age to 16. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry. Stand back. My head is getting ready to explode. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, to kind of review the bidding when it comes to the voting age, uh, the voting age for the longest time was 21. In 1971, Congress approved the 26th Amendment to the United States Constitution. The 26th Amendment lowered the voting age from 21 to 18. It then had to be ratified by the states um, within three months. Essentially, the, the states had ratified the amendment. It became part of the Constitution. This was the quickest amendment be, to be ratified, at least at the time, in United States history. So the voting age was reduced from 21 to 18. The reasons in 1971 for reducing the voting age from 20, 21 to 18 were, were pretty compelling. We, we were in the middle of the war in Vietnam. You had a draft. People could be drafted to serve in the military at the age of 18. 
Okay, so the argument would be if you're old enough to, to serve in the military to go halfway across the world, um, all right, and, and potentially risk getting killed, right, why shouldn't you be old enough to, to cast a vote? Pretty compelling argument at the time. In addition, at the age of 18, for many, many things, you are an adult. You, you can sign binding contracts. You, you can get married without your parents' permission. You can all the, you can get a tattoo at 18 without your parents' permission. You are, for all intents and purposes, an adult. So if we're going to treat you legally as an adult, yes, it seems to me you should have the right to vote. I supported that amendment. Makes sense to me. But now the idea of reducing it again to 16, where we agree that people are, are pretty much still still children, um, you know, what do you do? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, my graduate student is about to go off my health care insurance as she turns 26. I don't mind providing her health insurance, but we have to decide when we expect young adults to start being adults. Is it 16, 18, 21, 26? Where does this come in? Well, my answer would be, I think, you know, 18 is, is when we treat people as uh, adults. Um, Jeff, why not lower it to the age of 12 so parents can tell kids to vote for because they become more rebellious at the age of 16? Um, just kidding. Um, yes, Jeff, so a 16-year-old has enough mental capacity and decision-making skills to be able to help decide those in government office but cannot be trusted by themselves if they want to smoke cigarettes or drink alcohol legally? Yes, I, I, I mean, yeah, that, that's... This, this is like the situation here. That's one of the reasons why I have been a proponent, and I understand it's controversial. I've been a proponent of lowering the drinking age back from 21 to 18. It was 18 when I turned 18 because it seems to me if you're an adult, if we're going to treat you as an adult for some purposes, you should be treated as an adult for a variety of purposes. But all right, if, if you're if you're old enough to vote at the age of 16, should you be old enough to, to drink? You know, I, I, now, look, I'm not advocating 16-year-old drinking age. I think that's dumb, but not necessarily any dumber than saying that we should let 16-year-olds vote. Uh, Jeff, heck no. Actually, that's not what the person says, but I'll say it for him. Heck no for so many reasons to list. If our representatives don't get that we consider them minors for a multitude of reasons, including the lack of ability to make sound, reasonable, important decisions, they shouldn't be our representatives. I think 21 would be better. Well, okay. But again, you have to understand the, the reason behind the 26th Amendment, and it made sense. Again, if, if you're old enough to get drafted and serve in Vietnam, you should be old enough to vote. I, I, that, by the way, is the same argument that I would make about allowing people to to be able to drink at the age of 18. If you're old enough to enlist in the military and be sent overseas to defend this country, I think you should be old enough to be able to legally buy a beer in this country. But that's another discussion. Um, Jeff, I do not support lowering the age to voting to 18. However, if lowered, the logic would be to suggest that we lower everything, including the drinking age to 16, a lower the age for serving in the military to 16 as well. Then do you think we would be able to try 16-year-olds as adults if they shoot up any shopping malls? Yes, for people not understanding that reference. Keep in mind, we talked about this earlier this week. You you have the the 15-year-old who had been through the juvenile justice system at least once and perhaps more. We don't know because juvenile justice records are, are kept confidential. This is the kid who, while on supervision, takes a loaded handgun into Mayfair Mall and fires in excess of a dozen shots, hitting eight people. And you have a juvenile court judge recently appointed who decides, with the recommendation of the family uh, commissioner for youth services, who decides we're not going to try the kid as an adult. So you're telling me that you can be treated as a juvenile because you don't have the mental capacity to understand enough right and wrong and we need to like look out for your interests so at 15 you can be treated as a juvenile for shooting up a shopping mall but yet we're going to let the person vote (laughs) you know it's just like you know give me you know give me a break jeff i think they should be able to vote for maybe high school counsel um yeah i think that there's perhaps an issue there um right um jeff they say 16-year-olds are mature and wise enough to vote, but say they are immature and not developed when we don't want them waived into adult court. 
Uh, yes, you know, there's that factor. Jeff, let's not forget that in Europe you can drink at age 16, so drinking as it relates to age shouldn't necessarily be a good comparison. Well, I don't, I don't know. Do we want to become, do we want to become Europe in all regards? Uh, I'm just throwing this out there, but, but here's the scary thing about this. It's not that it's just a Looney Tune idea, because I think most people think it's a, would agree with that. But this particular amendment got 125 or 123 votes when it came up. Yeah, when it came up for 125 votes, 125 votes, a majority of Democrats in the House of Representatives voted in favor of lowering the voting age to 16. If that doesn't tell you something about where we're going over the next couple of years, I don't know what would. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Brewers Baseball, 2 o'clock this afternoon. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by our friends at Great Midwest Bank, is Serta Pro Painters, the proven experts in painting. You can schedule your free estimate today at SertaPro.com. That's Serta with a C. All right. It is the law of, matter of fact, getting out just a ton of responses you might expect from the idea of 16-year-olds voting. And I think most people would agree that yeah, we, we can let 16-year-olds vote for prom king or prom queen, if they still have that, or you know, student council. But voting for president, probably not the best idea. All right. It is the law of unintended consequences, perhaps. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, we, we were talking about the, the whole controversy involving you know, Theodore uh, Seuss Geisel, he, Dr. Seuss, who had a very, very interesting life. He was born in 1904, so he was, he was a product of, of his time. In World War II, he worked, um, again, producing, helping, you know, produce films and things like that. Um, he was, he's a, car- he was a cartoonist. And, um, some of the drawings, now keep in mind, it, it's a different time. It, it's World War II, and we are at war with Germany and Japan. And so, a lot of the editorial cartoonists of the day, uh, Japan was our enemy. And for example, when they would, draw Japanese in the context of like editorial cartoons and stuff, well, they would result to, they would use caricature for, for that, you know, stereotypes, et cetera, et cetera. But it was a different time. But that was, that was the time that he was raised in. So he began then subsequently writing books and things like that. And, and everybody knows about the cat in the hat and green eggs and ham and things like, like that. Well, if you look at all the different books he wrote and you judge it Again, in a historical context, you look at some of them, and what you find is, first of all, uh, some women were upset because the, the depictions are largely of men. There's, there's comparatively fewer women. And then in a couple of the books, there are stereotypical caricatures, which would certainly not be acceptable by the standards of 2021, including some of his drawings depicting Asians. Um, which again reflect, I, I think, some of the ways they were drawn back in World War II. And in addition, there's a couple, uh, for example, in the book uh, about if I ran the zoo, there's a couple depictions, for example, of of Africans that would be that that sort of stereotypical thing that you would not see in in today's day and age. So there's been this push that we, we've, we've got to stop people from reading that. Matter of fact, I had a caller yesterday who thought that we should go through all the books looking for depictions that might be stereotypical and offensive by today's standards, and we should get rid of all those books. We, we should essentially start burning books. And I, I continue to be, be stunned by that particular call. It's like, oh, oh my gosh, who gets to decide that? And, and this is how we're going to sort of like censor history. Well, anyhow, the Dr. Seuss Foundation decided there are a half dozen books that we're we're going to discontinue. We're not going to publish anymore because of the these various stereotypical things. And that's fine with me. That that's a business decision that the people that own the rights to this are making. The the bigger issue though is this idea that we 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 can't 
we can't read Dr. Seuss in, in Read Across America Day because some people might find something to be offensive in the cat of the hat, cat or the hat or whatever. And to me, just, just again, I think it makes, it's a waste of spirit to try to impose 2021 standards on stuff that was written in the 40s and 50s and 60s. What you really want to do is you want to put it in context. And the ultimate irony of all this is that Dr. Seuss was a big time lefty. I mean, a big, big liberal. You know, he was writing books talking about, you know, discrimination before I, I think a lot of other people were. He was a big time environmentalist. You know, you've got what's the what's the book that turned into the movie, the, the Lorax or something like that. Big time lefty. And so, you know, now he's being canceled. Well, anyhow, the interesting law of unintended consequences is now that there is this controversy and this pressure to, OK, let, let's not let people read Dr. Seuss in some of these public schools or and, you know, reading across America. Well, it, it can't involve Dr. Seuss and forget the fact that Michelle Obama a few years ago was reading the cat in the hat. No, we, we, we can't have Dr. Seuss books be part of this. Well, the interesting thing is since this controversy has started. Well, here's the headline in USA Today. Dr. Seuss books sales spike following the announcement that some will be pulled due to racist imagery. Sales for some popular Dr. Seuss titles have soared on Amazon and Barnes & Noble following the announcement that six of the children's books titles will stop being published because of racist and insensitive imagery. Dr. Seuss titles, including The Cat in the Hat, Oh, the places you'll go and green eggs and ham. And by the way, cat in the hat is somewhat controversial as well. Um, make up nine of both Amazon's and Barnes and Noble's top 10 best selling lists. None of the books that they're planning to discontinue crack the, again, talk, crack the top 100. But again, the interesting irony is for people out there saying, Oh, we, we need to cancel Dr. Seuss. Well, the public is responding and they're, they're buying Dr. Seuss books big time. Don't know what that means in the bigger picture other than the fact that, you know, maybe we should allow people to make their own decisions and, again, try to put stuff in context as opposed to saying, oh, we we need to get rid of these books. We need to ban these books. We need to burn these books. Very dangerous precedent. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. Uh, the stock market continues to be in the tank. Been a bad week or two for the, the stock market. The Dow right now down 412 points. The NASDAQ uh, down 310, and that's continuing a streak with the exception of a, of a big day this week where there's a big boost. Otherwise, it's been kind of a dismal sort of week or two, and um, don't know. Hopefully that will turn around. All right, I have a why question. The why question is, what's this all about? Is there something behind this? Nobody knows for sure. Well, at least nobody in the general public knows for sure. But do you realize that Joe Biden, now, Joe Biden has not held a press conference for the entire time he's been office in office, which is 43 days. Now, he, he has... He has spoken briefly to reporters while walking on the White House grounds, and he's given a couple interviews to some friendly outlets. But but as far as standing there and having a press conference, he has not had a press conference since he became the president of the United States. Um, according to records, his 15 most recent predecessors all held a formal solo press conference within 33 days of taking office. So Biden is already gone 43 days without that. In addition, he now the first year you're elected, you it's not called the State of the Union. So let's be technically accurate. You don't give the State of the Union address until you've actually been in office for a year. But past presidents have traditionally given a speech to Congress during their first year in office. And again, that first year, it's technically not the State of the Union, but but for all intents and purposes, it's the equivalent. Uh, typically, that speech is given in February. For example, uh, President Bush, George H.W. Bush, delivered one of the earliest addresses to the joint session. His address took place on February 9th of 1989. Trump 
delivered one of the latest, and that was February 28th of 2017. Here we are, we're in the first week of March, and Joe Biden has, has not given that address, and nothing has been scheduled, at least at this point in time. So no press conferences, no State of the Union equivalent sort of speech. During the campaign, it, you know, the, the campaign by and large, and and maybe it was because of the pandemic, I think also it was just a campaign strategy was to keep Biden isolated. You keep him in the basement in, in, in Delaware because then you avoid him, you know, making any sort of gaffes or, or playing into this notion that, you know, maybe maybe because of his age or whatever, he, he's not up to, to the job and you, you bring him out for, you know, the debates. And I think he did a pretty good job at the debates. But in general, you keep him away from the, these unscripted moments. You keep him away for interviews with, you know, unfriendly or at least some journalists that might ask some tough, hard-hitting questions. So that was the strategy that played out effectively during the campaign. You make it about Trump. You try to get all the people out there who hate Donald Trump, and they come out and they vote, and Biden gets elected. But now that he's the president, he, he, he's not answering questions. He, he's not answering questions about the missile attack on Syria and who knew and, and who didn't know and, and all these different things. Hasn't had a press conference for 43 days. Hasn't addressed a joint session in Congress up until now. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Why do you think that this is? Is this simply, well, he doesn't have anything to say? Is this his handlers are, are worried about putting him out, even in front of a friendly press corps, that he might stumble and look like he's not ready for prime time? Or is this just the fact that, well, he doesn't need to do it. He's not getting any heat from the Washington press corps, really. So so why bother doing this if you're not going to be pressured to do it? You can make a strong argument that Donald Trump and some of his undoing was the fact that I, I think he had too much exposure, that, you know, he, he did too many press conferences, that he did too many of these press availabilities, that, you know, he ended up, you know, demonstrating that he could be a loose cannon at times because he couldn't stay focused. He couldn't stay on a particular point. He got off message so easily. And maybe you can make an argument that, that President Trump undermined his administration by the fact that he was so available and tweeting and doing these things all the time. So maybe you can make the argument that it's just good political strategy for for Biden to essentially stay in the bunker. Very, very limited public situations, you know, taped speeches, controlled sort of situations, but not having the press conferences, not having the joint address to Congress. Is it just a political decision or do you think there's something more? 855-616-1620. And I'll be candid with you. I, I don't know. But I do think it's odd that you, you haven't had a press conference in, in 43 days, which is now the longest time you had of his 15 predecessors. I, I think this – and, and you've had stuff going on. You haven't had a press conference to explain, hey, that this bombing that we're, we're doing and things like that. All right. Is there something more to it other than just, hey, political calculations or he doesn't feel like it? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A number of people are just starting to notice this. Um, of the last 16 people elected to be president of the United States, all of them have held at least one press conference within 33 days of taking office. Joe Biden, it's been 43 days and counting. Um, the common practice among new presidents is to, they don't call it the State of the Union, but they, they address a, a joint session of Congress. The first year it's not called the State of the Union. One of the latest addresses was given by Donald Trump at the end of February. Right now we're in the first week in March and Joe Biden hasn't appeared to give that first address. Is What's going on here? Is this an effort to hide him from the public or is it just, well, I don't know, he, he's really, really busy and he can't be bothered to take questions and nobody's pushing on him. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Dave in Cottage Grove. Hi, Dave. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. How's it going? Good. What do you think? Well, full disclosure, uh, I voted for Biden. But as objectively as I can, let's put it this way. Um, yeah, I, I do think that... Uh, Biden has inherited some significant uh, 
national crises. And I, I do think that it's, it would be good for, you know, folks to hear from him. On the other hand, I think that you have to consider the fact that this was not a normal transition. Um, from one administration to another. And so well-past practice has been an orderly transition. I, I do think it's important to recognize that uh, the previous administration dragged its feet, directed people in agencies not to cooperate. And I think, quite honestly, that the Biden administration is still probably sorting out um, just where do things stand. And I so think you don't that, think he's uh, ready? I'm, I'm, so you don't think he's ready to to talk to the press at this point in time oh i i I think there's things you could talk to the press about but when when we do talk about you know what pat what normal practice or past practice has been um you know i think consider the fact that his his opponent still never conceded not that we have to have that but that the transition was um slowed and and Basically, I, I, yeah, I think it's reasonable. Okay, good enough. Well, again, I, I just he, it, it, he gets to do what he already wants to do because he, he's the president of the United States, and it, as long as it, it's not going to be a major issue in in the media, um, it and as long as there's no like public pressure on him to do it, I, I do confess I, I find it odd because even if you accept this notion that you're talking about that okay the transition was slowed, et cetera, et cetera, that's still. I, I don't know if, if if you're talking about like sending missiles and things like that, you, you'd think that you'd, you'd be in a position or at least that the press would be pushing you to, you know, justify your decision or explain why you did this. Um, but and you would think that even if the transition is delayed, for example, and it was delayed, you'd still be able to you know, come out and articulate to the American people why you did this or why you did that or, or why you did the other thing. I nobody can force him to do it. I, I get it. But I think it is unusual. I also think it is unusual that you haven't had the, the joint address of Congress, because normally presidents want to get in front of Congress and more importantly, in front of the American people in as quickly as possible. Now, you, you can use, I guess, the, the covid situation, but yet we, we st- you, you can say, OK, well, maybe he's afraid to do it because you're you're worried that there's going to be another attempt to take over of the Capitol or whatever. Candidly, I, I think those are are excuses. I mean, I think that, you know, the strategy that you saw going on during the campaign, a strategy that worked and a strategy that I completely understand, which was, you know, limit the exposure uh, of, of Joe Biden to the, the public as much as you possibly can. Do it, you know, control it. It was a brilliant strategy because you ended up making the political campaign about, you know, Donald Trump as opposed to, you know, Joe Biden. And I will say this. I think Biden did a fine job in the different debates. By a fine job, I mean, I think he demonstrated that some of these concerns that he was like too old or too feeble or whatever. I, I, I That's certainly not the sense that I think came through with the debates. But you you got to wonder, you know, what it is. Is there a bigger reason why he's just, again, in the back? Why, you know, you're not seeing him out in public? Jeff, I think it's funny. The media was upset anytime Trump didn't follow the typical protocols um, and customs, but is silent on this. Um, I, I wonder if they're trying to hide something. Well, it it is, again, it's just an interesting fact that's out there. Jeff, Biden said he would have the most transparent administration ever. Well, um, you know, I, I don't know. I doesn't, it's not starting off that's that way. And, and again, maybe this is just because he has nothing to say. Maybe it's because he's too busy. Some people are texting me saying, oh, he's, he's just got too much work to do to, you know, to talk to the press. All right, that that may well be the case as well. But you'd think then maybe you'd you'd, you'd say that. Look, I I don't know what's going on here. Don't know if there's any other big alternative there. But the longer the longer Biden stays away from dealing with what you know is going to be a friendly press corps. You know, when he has a press conference, you know very well that the vast majority of the reporters there aren't going to be aggressive in questioning him about various things. It's not going to be a confrontational situation like he had with, with like the press had with Donald Trump. It's not going to be that case. So you do have to wonder, okay, is there something more going on when you are reluctant to come out and have a press conference in front of what you know is going to be a an overly friendly group of group of members of, of the media? 
just just don't know. But something to wonder when will you know what's the over under on when the first Biden press conference is going to be. Thus far, it's been 43 days. Nothing scheduled thus far. Heck, you know, maybe it'll go two years without having a press conference. Who knows? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, Rule, producing the show today and always. Are you old enough? Do you remember The Real World, the show on, on MTV? Or before your time? I'm old enough to remember the show. I wasn't a watcher when it first started, but right. I saw some of the later seasons, well, I suppose. Well, right. It, it, it debuted in 1992, for people not familiar with this. And, and the idea was, really, this started back in the 70s. PBS um, ran this show called An American Family. And we, matter of fact, we talked about this about a month or two ago because one of the, matri- the matriarch of that family died. And it, what they did is they followed... Uh, a family from California, they brought cameras in and they followed them for six months and they watched how the marriage deteriorated, uh, between the, the husband and wife. And, you know, one of the, one of the sons uh, announced that he was gay. And of course, this was the, you know, coming out on TV and stuff like that in the 1970s was a, was a big, big, big deal. And, and so it followed the family. And then what happened is in 1992, MTV decided, you know, we want to get into the quote unquote reality TV business. And they came up with this idea of let's take, let's take seven young people from different parts of the country with, with different backgrounds and let's put them together in some like really fancy house. And then let's, let's just tape what, what goes on. And of course they would, um, they would cast for controversy. You know, you'd have the you'd have the the young girl who was a, a virgin from the Midwest and they'd put her in the house with the, you know, guy who was the, you know, um, you know, who, who slept with anybody they could find. And, you know, and they they take, you know, you know, conservatives and they put them in with liberals and, and then they just kind of watch the, the stuff that went on. And it was actually groundbreaking television for a while. It started uh, to get, I think the problem was like with anything, it starts to get repetitive. I mean, I watched the first couple of years was New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco and I think Seattle and Boston. Those were the first five years. Former congressman from Wisconsin, Sean Duffy, he was on the Boston year and his wife, Rachel Campos Duffy, was on the uh, San Francisco year. But it, it's kind of like anything that after a while it's the same stuff over and over again i mean that the people might be different but the 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 interaction is pretty much the same but but it was very very popular for a a number of years i bring this up because they're doing a reunion uh they're the real the original cast of the real world new york from 1992 they're 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 bringing them back they brought all these people back so it's like 30 years later and they're putting them in the same loft and apparently they they filmed this during the pandemic they put them in the same loft and they they watch the interactions 30 years later it sounds like an interesting concept to me except there's a big but here the the show isn't on mtv the show is on Paramount Plus, which is the streaming service. You've got the Paramount TV thing, and then the, I forget what that what Paramount used to be, but now it's Paramount. But this is Plus. So in order to watch this show, you have to sign up for the streaming service, which you can get a 30-day free trial. But after that, it's six bucks a month. So uh, I guess I'm kind of curious to watch this. But I, because, again, I, I remember the show from back in the day. But this is one of those tests. I was sitting there thinking, am I $6 a month curious to watch this particular show? And the answer is, nah, <laughs> no, no way. It, it, it's just with all these different streaming services that are out there, I, I think one of the things consumers need to be careful about is because you sign up for this stuff. And a lot of times you can get like a week free trial or something. But I think a lot of people just forget about that. So what ends up happening is at the end of the day, suddenly you kind of look at your credit card at the end of a month and you say, I've got five ninety nine charge for this and I've got a five ninety nine charge for this and HBO Max is this and NBC's Peacock is this and Hulu is this and pretty soon you're paying more than you would pay for the 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 cable stuff with all these things so the real world reunion a little bit curious six dollars a month curious i think i'm going to pass how about you mike spaulding yeah i'm gonna pass on that one i'm with you on the too many streaming services i recently forgot to unsubscribe from a podcast service and got charged forty dollars and right right 
Yeah, I mean, used it in eight months. Well, well, right. That that's it. And again, it's you got to be real careful about that. And they, they all have different content, which is interesting. And you say, oh, this this is good. I'd like to I'd like to be on Hulu, or I'd like to be HBO Max. I'd like to do that because I want to see this or that or the other thing. But then you kind of watch one or two things, and you say, okay, do I really need Netflix? Do I need Hulu? Do I need Amazon Prime? Do I need Discovery Plus? And the answer is, well, do I need it? Yeah, probably not. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, let's let's try to find some common ground here. Can we all agree that the the virtual learning has been, if not a complete and total failure, it has been a less desirable alternative than the in-person learning for kids. I, I think I, I don't know that there's anybody out there who can argue that for the vast majority of children who've been, you know, confined to the, the virtual learning or the hybrid things, that there hasn't been a drop-off. It's why you get some of these like really scary stories about kids in school districts that are you know, like 20% that are failing at least one class, and you look at some of the larger school districts in the area like, for example, MPS, that have not been in person for over a year now and in all likelihood aren't going to be in person at best and, until the fall. So I think we can all, and of course the frustrating thing at a but at, for example, school district like MPS, w- without pointing fingers, is those are the kids that can least afford to continue to fall behind. So I think we can all at least hopefully agree that that it's been a problem, and you need to get back to in-person learning as soon as possible. That's one of the reasons why, even though I don't think it's good public policy, that's why we, we've jumped, we were allowing teachers to jump the line and get uh, get vaccinated ahead of people who are in much larger risk categories. I mean, I, and I've explained this before, my argument is you should do it like a lot of states do, just do it based on age, because if you're really going to follow the science, that that's that's the way you flatten the curve and protect the most people. But that's not the way that Tony Evers wants to do it, so fine. So we, we accept the premise that we, we need to get kids back to school in-person learning, and we also accept, I would hope, the premise that um, there's a lot of kids who have fallen way, way, way behind over the course of the last year, perhaps the last year and a half. So one of the things that that the governor comes out and says, he says, look, I I think what, what we might need to look at is school districts coming back to school for in-person learning a, a lot earlier, not waiting until September 1st, which is the, the start date for most schools across the country, uh, across the state, but rather let, let's get back to in-person learning a lot sooner. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. While the governor doesn't really f- flesh this out, I think he is on to something. And I think for schools that have been remote, virtual, or largely remote or virtual, I think it's a great idea to say to the kids, for this year, here's what we're going to do. We're going to resume in-person learning, and we're going to do it pick a date. August, we're not waiting till September 1st, August 15th, August 1st, whatever. And we're going to use that time as a, as a catch up to try to review the stuff that we've covered over the course of the past year and try to get people better prepared to deal with, you know, the, the challenges moving forward. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Yeah, I, I think school districts, particularly those who have been virtual or at least semi-virtual over the course of the last year, yeah, I, I think that they would be doing their pupils a service by saying, we're coming back early. And, and yes, and, and parents, maybe that means you have to plan, adjust your vacations. But of course, you know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. I, I'm not sure how many people are taking the giant summer vacations anyhow, but maybe saying, yeah, you needed to do it in July because we're resuming school the first week in August or things like that. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we be bringing the kids back in-person learning? Once more and more people get vaccinated, maybe say August 1st or August 5th or whatever, would it be a good idea? My answer is yes. We've got to make up for what's happened over the course of the last year. And it seems to me an earlier start time, adding extra days to the school calendar would be, what's that phrase? 
a real good start. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Before we go to the phones, just a couple texts. Jeff, my son goes to school in East Troy. My nephew goes to MPS. Day and night difference. MPS at-home learning is a joke, and the kids are getting left behind. Get them back in person ASAP. Well, I, I think the reality is... If you're able to get the MPS kids back in person for for a month, that that this this year, that would be that I think would be a miracle. I think the likelihood is that there's not going to be any in person instruction in, in, for example, at MPS, probably not till the fall. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe they get them back a couple of weeks before the end of the year. But that, that's I don't think that's likely, which makes it all the more reason why I think maybe you start school, you, you have a, a remedial month for the kids that have fallen behind, for the school districts that have had all the hybrid learning, for the school districts that have been virtual. Let's start with uh, Matt in Madison. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I just uh, wanted to bring up the subject that uh, um, you know, my, my daughter is in uh, uh, high school and uh, an extra adding on months to the beginning of next school year um, doesn't really help out those kids as they uh, they'll they'll be changing classes, and uh, and she'll be moving on from AP Biology, where she's trying to take you know teach herself AP Biology virtually this year. Yeah. And uh, how's that working mightily. out? How's that working out? It's it's uh, it's not good. Yeah. Um, she's yeah. always been a straight A student, and this year you know she's she's got a D on her grade right now. Uh, you know, and, and we're trying to work through that, but it's, I mean, for a straight-A student to have a D, it's its a stressful situation for her, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So you so from the perspective of, like, starting a couple weeks earlier, you don't think that that would, would help? I, I think it would help the younger grades. I just mm-hmm. don't know how we help out the older grades now that are, that would be starting next year with completely different classes than what they're taking now. If they're taking geometry now, they're taking algebra next year. It's, it's those those kids that I don't know how we help them out with the geometry they're taking now. Right. Well, Matt, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, see, but here, but here's the here's the problem, and I learned this the hard way when I was a when I was a student. You, for example, let, let's take your example of math. It, it it's building blocks type of thing. You know, before you, you you've got to have a fundamental basis of of algebra before and geometry before you move on to calculus or trigonometry or all, all those different things. And I guess my concern is, is a very real, and I mean, I, I appreciate it. I mean, I, I, I had enough trouble with biology, period, much less trying to teach yourself AP biology. Um, that's the, that's a major problem there. And so if you don't have that building block, if you don't understand algebra, you don't understand geometry, how are you going to move on to that advanced class, which is why I think it's even more important than ever, maybe Maybe to you know say okay for that first month of the year we're we're gonna we're we're gonna focus on on geometry we're gonna start the school year you know months earlier a month earlier and and we're gonna focus on you know what we should have done last year it's going to be geometry so maybe then you you move on to that next level I mean I I leave it to people who are smarter than me to figure out how to work it out but I think you have to work it out okay Jeff this is an unfair statement my wife is an MPS teacher they're working very hard teaching it's not a joke sorry disagree I'm not saying that the teachers aren't working hard I am saying that virtual learning is in fact a joke for most of the students it just doesn't work for most students now if you want to argue that fine but i I think you're going to find yourself in the vast minority i think most people whose kids have been virtual would tell you just like our caller matt that you know essentially the the virtual learning and, and not having the interaction and trying to teach yourself ap biology just doesn't work and you see that in the the statistics that are out there where you see an alarming number of kids who are failing classes and that's it's it's just because virtual learning is an inferior option when it comes to you know teaching and i guess if if people want to argue that that that's fine but i think that you're losing that uh jeff i'm all for this my daughter has been remote learning by choice this year and getting all a's and b's because it's her personality to work very diligently but having a hard time trying to get her to leave the house and go places with me as she's getting anxiety and we are i think we're scaring a whole generation of youth and their social skills will be very troubling i i do think that that's one of the issues that's out there as well it's the 
the socialization that you get in school that is very, very important as well, and they've lost it. I Look, mark the tape on this one. I think the governor is correct. I think school districts, particularly those that have been virtual or largely virtual, I think they should be looking at figuring out a way to let's get us the kids back in class in person. Hopefully, the president says everybody that wants a vaccination will be able to get a vaccination by May. Good. There's no reason not to open the schools in early August and and get people back as we try to catch up from the COVID pandemic. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff, I think starting school earlier this year is a great idea, but I bet the teachers will balk. Well, okay. The teachers balk at a lot of stuff, but sometimes the response is life is tough. Get a helmet. Jeff, I think the issue isn't the teachers or the kids working hard or trying hard. The issue is effectiveness. If the learning setting isn't effective, it's not working. And I think that's that's the case. And if people, for example, associated with MPS want to get their undies in a bundle when people say that the learning system isn't working and how dare you fault the teachers, it's it's not that. It's it's just ineffective per se. And it's it's a bad alternative. And as I say, the kids who need the instruction the most are falling more and more behind. And that's contributing to the educational gap that already exists in this state. And that's a bad thing. Jeff, my nephew is in MPS. He doesn't even they don't even make him turn the camera on. He plays video games during class. Now, of course, my my follow up question to that would be, Okay, where, where is mom and dad? And, I, and again, I, I understand it's, it's difficult to do that kind of policing. You know, I mean, mom and dad can't sit in the same room when the kids in the classroom and say, "Don't turn off that camera and don't be playing video games on this stuff." But it is—it's—it's it's one of the challenges that are out there. Jeff, you could offer summer school or remedial month in August to raise a grade um, or enhance a skill. There, there's all sorts of different ways that you can do it. But yeah, I, I think it's. It's a good thing. Okay, um, we've got Brewers baseball coming up in a couple minutes. I, I do want to mention something because we had calls and questions about that. Um, if you are listening over the Internet, if you're listening to the stream, you, you do not hear the Brewers game because we don't have the streaming rights. Um, it's just, we, you know, if you listen to On the Air, you know, you, you will hear the Brewers game. If you're listening to it on the stream, what you hear is a, a rerun of, you know, one of one of the shows. I think yesterday we had Scafidi show or something like that. I don't know how they choose which shows they rerun, but but that's the way it works. And for people who always call up and understand and say, well, you know, what's going on? I, I was listening on the stream and I was listening to Jeff's show and now it's something different. I'm not getting the Brewers game. It, it's just kind of the way it works. So if you want to hear the Brewers game, keep tuned into WTMJ. You will hear it through the the over-the-air broadcast. Otherwise, I have no idea what's coming up uh, if you're listening on the stream. We'll figure that out in a couple minutes. I am back 12 noon tomorrow. We've got a full show. Ron Johnson at 108. At least it's scheduled. We've got some interesting questions for him. Greg Matzik coming in to talk about our latest WTMJ Cares initiative and a lot of other stuff. Have a great Thursday. Go Brewers. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. WTMJ.